Welcome, welcome everybody. This is IBS Jesus here with the IBM NBA podcast for April 29, 2019. Trying to get my uh, co-host Keith um, online, having some technical difficulties, which seems to be a growing theme with blog talk. So um, just be patient. In the meantime, I will stall and talk to you guys about this Raptors 76ers game, which is very interesting, honestly. Um, I don't know if the Raptors maybe came in thinking that the 76ers were going to just roll over, but um, it's kind of interesting. Let's see here. He's showing me this is what the first one said, winning on the second. Okay. So he should be here in a second now. Um not sure why it's not allowing me to invite him. Yeah, so I don't know what's going on. But anyway, um, it just looks like the 76ers have more energy than the Raptors, which seems to be a growing theme in, in the playoffs that I've seen so far, the games that I've watched. It seems like teams, there's no there's no real battle. You're either getting blown out or you're blowing somebody else out. So um, it's kind of weird. I just feel like the Raptors should have gave more effort at home. They're not usually a bad home team either. But, um, I mean, kudos to the 76ers. I mean, this is what they built this team for, to make a to make a big statement coming into the postseason. And I, and I really think splitting or, or stealing a, a home game, or in this case stealing a road game, is, is very essential to winning – all of these series. Hmm. So I'm going to send him another email. Let's see. It says invited. Yep. Let's take a screenshot so you can see it. But, um, yeah, technical difficulties, typical blog talk. So I'm hoping that we get some callers today. Um, but we probably won't. It just seems to be the group. They call when they want to. I know Maurice said he wanted to call and complain about the uh, Rockets game, but I guess he'll wait until tomorrow. Um, let's see. Hmm. Definitely not sure. Why he's not going here. Let's see. Gonna send him another one. Hopefully he gets in here. Send invitations. Um, you can hear me? That's weird. Um, Keith, I don't see you. I don't know why I don't see you, because usually you pop up on the callers or the switchboard, but I'm not seeing you. So, I can call you. Actually... See if I can call him. 
And if you hear crying in the background, it's just... What's up, man? There you go. Maybe we just do it this way. That's fine. All right, cool. So, yeah, my, my son is unfortunately upset because we put that crib back up so he doesn't have access to free roam. So if you hear him screaming, it's just because he's mad. It's bedtime. But, we um, fired up about the podcast, man. Yeah, I wish, I wish He he only likes NFL podcasts for some reason He doesn't really cooperate with the other ones um, so, I was just kind of stalling a little bit Talking about the current game that's on the 76ers and the uh, Raptors But we can roll into um, Eastern Conference um, semifinals sure. uh, Celtics travel to Milwaukee for game one And just dominated the game. It was very interesting. The final score was 112 to 90. Uh, what did you take away from this particular game? Well, I don't know if you remember. I actually called in the Yells podcast last week and was uh, very confident in my Bucks in five or six uh, prediction. And boy, was I uh, shocked uh, by the outcome of game one. Not that the Celtics won it, but just in the fashion that they did, um, they dominated it. Uh, they looked a lot like the team, what uh, I think a lot of people thought you were going to see this year. I was very disappointed in the Bucks in the sense that it was almost like they were shocked that the Celtics' game plan was basically to just double and triple team Giannis every time he got the ball. Like, that's not uh, – what any smart coach or team would do is try to, you know, take their best player away. Uh, mm-hmm. And they just they, – they didn't shoot well, which I think they will shoot better. And I think a lot of this is, uh, you know, for game one, I want to see game two because the Celtics have a ton of playoff experience. The Bucks do not. And, you know, the Bucks also had a very easy first-round matchup. And I do believe that some of that could be that, you know, they dusted off the Pistons, probably were feeling themselves and, uh, you know, playing a little tougher team. They, you know, they, they got their butts whooped. Uh, so I will say if they don't win game two, though, they're in serious trouble because I maybe see them winning one game in Boston, but I definitely don't see them winning two. And at that point, um, you know, the series could be over after just two games. So how much stock do you put into um, first-round matchups if they're too easy? Do you really think that plays a a big role in um, how teams approach the next game or the next series? Because I I feel like the Bucs went in knowing that I I just don't understand how the Bucs could overlook Boston, per se. Even if they they won by 30 points every game against the Pistons, it just seems kind of odd for them to overlook uh, a team that uh, historically have have um, given them fits and, and beat them in the playoffs. No, that's – I mean, what the way I look at it is, is game one I could see it playing a big part because I don't think they necessarily overlooked them. I just think that they probably were feeling very confident uh, coming into game one, and I think we all know that uh, anybody who's played sports, the worst thing that can happen – uh, is when you, you know, you obviously have to believe in yourself, but when you reach that point to where you, you know, almost underestimate your opponent because you think you're so good that you can get punched in the mouth real quick. And that's exactly what happened uh, in game one. And I, you also got to give credit to the Celtics, and it's something that I did not think about when I called in uh, last week, is that they have a lot of 
players that actually can give Giannis about as much trouble uh, as possible. I'm a huge Hawks fan, so I, I watched Al Holford, you know, play his first, I think, seven or eight seasons in an Atlanta uniform, and he is a very underrated defender. Uh, he can, you know, guard both big, bulky guys. He can guard big, athletic guys. And then they, you know, also have some other players like Morris, who is a really good defender on players like Giannis. And then, you know, even Baines, you know, did a pretty good job in game one. And I, I'm hoping uh, that the Bucks make an adjustment in game two. And if, you know, the Celtics do what they did in game one, which I think we can all assume they will with the result of it, he's going to look to pass a little quicker uh, than he did in this first game. Because there was, if, if you watched the replay, and I know they weren't making a ton of shots, but there was a lot of wide-open guys. And, you know, Giannis took a lot of shots that, quite frankly, were not great shots when you have a team that has, you know, pretty much lived off of Giannis and shooting threes wide open. He needs to at least early try to get those guys making shots. That would make the Celtics, I would assume, have to adjust their plan a little bit and not give so much attention to Giannis. And then that way, hopefully, he can take over. Uh, And then the other thing is just, you know, I've been – on the bandwagon saying I think that this season has proved that Giannis is basically the best player in basketball and probably will be for, you know, the next several years. So I was a little disappointed. I know he was getting double and triple teams, but if, you know, you're that guy, you got to, you know, figure out a way uh, to affect the game and take over it. And it doesn't always have to mean scoring, you know, it needs to mean getting others involved and, and, you know, making more of a role on defense, which you all know Giannis can do. So, I'm having a hard time processing the the Bucks because <laughs> if you look at the team, and I'm not big on I'm not big on uh, what I would consider borderline advanced metrics. I think plus minus is plus minus would be considered uh, like the war, I guess. If, right. if there was a baseball equivalent, um, there was one starter that was positive. Out of the four starters, I mean, out of the five starters, only one, and that was and that was Brooke Lopez, and a plus two, and he only had three points. So I hear what you're saying um, about Giannis needing to do more and get people involved, but frankly, there's nobody to get involved. I, I honestly think that the Celtics made a statement with this first game, and that no matter what the Bucks do going forward, even in game two. In the back of their mind, they're gonna know that they don't really match up well with the with the Celtics when they play the Celtics way. So, what I mean by that is, I understand how they've won games throughout the regular season, but this is the playoffs. You have to make adjustments, and and their coach should know this, and I'm sure he will come up with a way to make some kind of adjustment. But then again, when he was with the Hawks, he didn't really make adjustments, and he kept getting swept by LeBron. And he one just of the took the I, words out of my mouth. He, yes, one of the I, I do that, worry about Coach Bud. Yeah, one of the things that I didn't like that I saw is that when a team is hot, man, and they're rolling and they're and they're just hitting shot after shot after shot, and they go on these runs, like you have to. If you're not the Warriors, you have to slow the game down somehow, some way. You have to, even if that's not technically your offensive blueprint. Um, I just feel like with a player like Giannis, 
Like we're not talking about the Rockets or, or another prolific three point shooting scoring team. And I get that the Bucks have scored points, but again, this is the playoffs. You guys are cold. You're at home. You have to do something to change the rhythm of the opposing team because essentially the Celtics took the momentum and it's like the Bucks never tried to get it back. And if they did try to get it back, I couldn't tell because at the end of the by the end of the game, they literally ran themselves dry. They were tired. And the rotation isn't the rotation wasn't deep enough to keep up with um the Celtics rotation, which quite honestly you, you have to admit Gordon Hayward's a starter on any other team. Rozier is borderline uh, a six-man-of-the-year type candidate when he's on. So you got two guys who are prolific scorers and players coming in against guys who honestly don't really belong on the court. <laughs> I mean, Miritich is, is about all they got. I'm, I'm not – George Hill's done. Um, he, he's not the type of player that's going to score enough to keep up with guys when they're scoring a ton of points. He's a facilitator. Um, Ilyasova isn't anybody special. They don't play Frazier, really. They didn't play Gasol at all, which he's old anyway. He wouldn't help. And you got uh, your best six-man, which probably would have been your best defender, too, Brogdon out with the plantar fasciitis. I mean, they have to really – awesome. I feel like they should have figured something out or tried to figure something out. And, and quite frankly, if they don't take a slower approach um, in, in game um, two, they're facing um, a route, man. I don't really give them much – Hope to win um, one game, maybe, I guess, in Boston. But, um, I mean, you can't let Al Horford come in and just dominate a game like that. Al Horford literally dominated the game, and he dominated the game against his former coach. Like That's inexcusable. If, it, if there's one person on that team that they should have been able to game plan against, it should have been Al Horford based on the history of the coach. With Al Horford, that makes no sense. Kyrie's gonna get his bucket. Tatum didn't really do anything. Jalen Brown had a decent game, but again, you cannot let Al Horford get twenty buckets on you, and you definitely can't let him have um, eleven boards. And most of those were defensive boards, and and that's telling to me because where was where was the the length of um, the Bucks? Where where is I mean, obviously, Brooke Lopez is hanging around the, the perimeter a lot more lately. But, um, I mean, Giannis only had eight boards himself. He's usually higher than that. Um, yep. He only had two assists, again, which we were talk- We already touched on the fact that, really, there's nobody for him to pass the ball to. But it just seemed like the Celtics played their game and the Bucks didn't play their game. And that comes back to something that I had said um, in private about this series is that I don't have a lot of faith in the Bucks because they don't know what it's like to play out front. They, they've never been in this situation before. And what I mean by play out front is they're favored. They're expected to win. They've never had that uh, that pressure put on them. And, and people might not believe that it's as that that is a, like a real thing at this level, but it really is. Like This is a, a first time for guys like Middleton. Wasn't this his first All-Star year? And yep. then Giannis is, is is finally getting over over his obstacles. Brooke Lopez is getting more freedom to shoot threes and, and basically turn into a poor man's Al Horford. Eric Bledsoe is, is on a bigger stage and getting getting starting starting minutes. 
and and then you you know you got the coach who who's honestly probably more familiar with this situation because he's he's taking some really good Hawks teams into the playoffs, but there's no LeBron. So expectations are that this team is competing for a championship in the East. You know, they're expected to to compete for representing the East. And here we got the Celtics again, basically coming in under the radar. I don't know if this is their strategy or not, but it seems like they do this every year. They come in with, with like, expectations that they are a good team, but we don't really know. And then they turn around and they play, like, the best team in the in the divi- I mean, in the conference. So um, it was a good statement game for the Celtics, but I, I don't like a quote from Giannis. I'm going to let you speak on this, too. Um, Giannis says, and this is a headline from Bleacher Report, uh, Giannis can't promise game to win versus Celtics, promise Bucks will play hard. Giannis says, I quote, I can't promise you we are going to win, but I can promise you we are going to play hard. That is not what I want to hear. <laughs> going into Dude, I, had not, I had not heard that, and that that's scary because that's basically saying your best player, who is arguably the best player in the league, is doubting not only himself but his team and what is a must-win game. So I uh, – I had not heard that, and that is disappointing. And I will say that I undervalued the Brad Stevens versus Coach Bud matchup because uh, my one frustration with Coach Bud as a Hawks fan is exactly what you're talking about, is they don't seem to adjust. And the Hawks did this in the playoffs uh, basically his entire run where when things were going great, they were wonderful, but they basically had one system. Uh, and, you know, they felt like what they did worked, and that's what they were going to do. And in the regular season, a lot of times that will work, but when you get into playoffs where you're playing the same team, you know, four to seven times in two weeks or three weeks, uh, you've got to make adjustments, and you got to see what they're doing and change up your plan. And obviously I don't want to get too far out of myself because you got game two, and maybe Coach Bud will make some good adjustments. But I don't have a lot of confidence, and I really do feel like that Coach Stevens deserves a lot of credit that, as you were saying, the Celtics almost seem to underperform in the regular season and then overvalue or, I mean, overperform in the postseason. And I think that's a lot to Coach Stevens kind of – he leaves wrinkles, lineups, et cetera, for the postseason so that way teams have not seen it and they kind of get punched in the mouth. And um, – I, I am very concerned as somebody who was big on the Bucks, and I also did not realize – I knew Brogdon was good, but they have not been the same team since he went down. I mean, that's that's just a fact. They haven't played as well. They uh, they really miss his shooting, and he was an underrated defender too. Yeah, I just – I mean, I understand he was, he was definitely a key role player, but at the, at the end of the day, game one – Malcolm couldn't save them, man. Everybody was hitting mm-hmm. shots, and and guys. Oh no, they guys, ran into a bus Guys just wasn't giving the effort necessary to overcome um, a good shooting team, and and the playoffs is some of these games are all about runs. Prime example is what we're watching right now, where the Seventy Sixers have got out and, and just smacked the Raptors over top of the head. Now, second half comes, and you can have the tail of two halves, but you have to play. Um, you have to be. You have to be uh, 
stern and you have to be dedicated to what you want to accomplish in the second half and chip away at these leads with these teams going these runs. A lot of times guys get down by like 12, 13 points, and you still got 15 to 20 minutes of actual game time left, and they're jacking up threes. It's like you don't have to really rush it. And, and I guess right. to give another cross-sport analogy, like when you go down two or three scores in the first half of a football game, you don't have to start passing the ball just yet, especially if you get the ball at halftime type thing. Like So in this case, like you're, you're, you still have momentum. You're still at home. The team that was on a run in the first half has to stop, take a break during um, halftime, collect themselves, and come back out. You still have an opportunity to steal the momentum back. But it's all about how you um, you come out and you address the situation in that first three or four minutes. If you come out and, and let this team just basically pick up where they left off, then you're going to be in for a long night. And I feel like the, the Bucks really just wasn't prepared, man. They wasn't prepared. Like, yep. they scored 33 points in the second quarter, right? So the, the, it was 52 to 50. Going into the half, right? <clears throat> so they made that big run. They had like the a Celtics, 15 yeah, run. The Celtics come out in the third quarter and scored thirty six points. Like what what are you what are you doing as a team? And I'm not trying to take away from the Celtics, but some of that I just I have to put most of that blame on the Bucks. Like you allowed that to happen. You allowed that on to your happen. Court. Yeah, and your on your home court. So maybe it's just a wake up call. Maybe they were just kind of lulled uh, to sleep, thinking that it might be a little easier. Not necessarily looking over the Celtics, but thinking that maybe the Celtics wouldn't come out uh, so fiercely in Game One. And um, they just have to really look deep within and admit to themselves that this is uncharted territory. Um, even though they are favorite to win. They still have nothing to lose technically because they are the inexperienced team. So play a little looser, man. Like, you know, the expectations might be from the public that you win every game and you blow the Celtics out type stuff. But honestly, you know, you know what got you there. Don't get away from that. So I don't know. I'm not trying to coach them up, but I'm just saying <laughs> we got to get better. No, than these those plus, are all plus minuses are trash. They're, yep. they're just trash. So um, it's. It's still time, obviously, to to right the ship. But if they lose, if they lose game two, they're in trouble. Oh, it's over. They lose game two, Ever, in no, it's over. If they lose game two, it's over. You're not winning two games in Boston. Uh, and I will admit that I kind of slept on the Celtics. I heard uh, both you and RC talk several times about how you really believed uh, in the Celtics and. Uh, like they look like the team that people thought they were going to be all year, and if they play like this, maybe with the exception of the Warriors, because I'm not sure anybody can beat them in a seven-game series. Uh, this Celtics team could beat uh, anybody if they're playing the way they have in the last, you know, week or two. Especially with Hayward now looking like Gordon Hayward, you know, for the first time since his injury. Yeah, and and I have to give Coach Stevens a shout out here. And uh, say that the the subtle adjustment of adding Morris into the starting lineup um, was very good. Um, I mean, if you look at the minutes, he played thirty just like Hayward played thirty. But I think the fact that you you shifted your rotation that way, and I think little things like that 
get overlooked by uh, fans. Just a subtle change, adding Morris into the starting lineup, um, kind of made maybe threw the Bucks off a little because because with that the team gets a little bit more physical uh, on the Boston side, especially to people who are driving and stuff. Morris Morris isn't afraid to put his body in the way. Uh, matter of fact, he had three blocks along with Tatum and Horford. So, I mean, you got to give him credit for that. Absolutely. You know, he only had nine points, but he played his role. He he got seven boards, three blocks. <laughs> I mean, in 30 minutes of play from a guy who basically would have came off your bench, but just adding him into that starting lineup um, probably really disrupted them a little bit. And you have to respect his ability to knock down open threes. <clears throat> and I would say it just allows them to space the floor a little bit more. Not that Hayward can't. But Hayward can't really bang with people down low. Morris is a little more versatile. So you you got your, your defensive post presence if needed. Um, and then you also have the ability to stretch the floor. So, um, again, just, just a subtle change, uh, change over there by uh, Coach Stevens. So got to give him credit for that as well. Absolutely. And it, it's really big, too, with, you know, the loss of Smart. I think to play Morris more because Smart was kind of that physical presence, energy guy that they really needed. Who could also, you know, Smart has really developed a three-point shot. He's not a great three-point shooter, but you at least have to respect him. And I think that it was really smart to kind of move Morris into that role uh, because, you know, obviously with Giannis, you're going to have to have people that are not afraid to bang and, you know, try to bully him because we haven't seen that yet where a team has really gone at Giannis. And if, if this is going to be the results, uh, he's going to need more help than I think a lot of people, including myself, thought he was going to need to be successful in the playoffs because I really thought they had built basically a perfect team around him without stars that could shoot. Uh, and you just basically let Giannis be Giannis and you go from there. But your point on the plus minus, Giannis was minus 24. Uh, it was the most of anybody on the court. And that is not a good sign for the Bucks, And especially with the quote that she just told me that I hadn't heard, he needs to dig down deep and have a, I'm one of the best players on the planet game, game two, because if they lose, this series is over. And it's a shame because I thought this was going to be a good one. Yeah. And, and a lot can change from game one to game two. I mean, we're seeing that uh, tonight with the, the um, Raptors and 76ers. So, I don't want anybody listening to think that we're we're over here running around saying the sky is falling, but um, it is a little alarming um, that the Bucks didn't. They, I mean, they got beat by 22 at home in Game One. That that's something that's concerning. I would have expected a little bit more out of them, out of them a little bit better. Um, what do you think the adjustment, like what key adjustment needs to be made? Uh, going into game two for the Milwaukee Bucks. Because right now, with the 22-point victory, I'm, I think it's safe to say the Celtics don't have to change anything. But what do the Bucks need to do to um, to get back in, even in this series? Well, I mean, the first thing they got to do is they need Giannis to, to basically take over the game. I think that uh, if anything was proven in game one is – they need more, even more of Giannis, which is kind of, you know, hard to believe considering he's one of the best players in the league. But if if he wants to be considered, you know, I think he is the best player in the league, maybe with the exception of Kevin Durant right now. 
he's got to you know play big time and big games. And this was really, honestly, his first really big game of the year because they had an easy first round matchup. The regular season is the regular season. We all know it's a totally different game than it is during the playoffs. And more importantly, they're going to have to figure out, okay, who can get us points early that is not Giannis? And my goal would be because the Celtics were, I mean, literally double and triple teaming him every time he got the ball. You know, that's obviously troubling when, you know, he's your best player, but it also means if you're double and triple and teaming him, there's going to be people open. And they need to find out, you know, who is going to make buckets and that's a rotation they need to go with. I think he needs to be flexible with his lineup because if the guys that he played this time, I know we you know discussed that they ain't got a ton of options, but uh, he's got to find some hot hands, and they've got to make three. I do think they're going to shoot better. I mean, they shot really bad game one, and typically, you know, Milwaukee's been one of the better, uh, you know, three-point shooting teams at least in makes this season. And when you shoot 34% uh, from the field, and, you know, it's scary as they were 33% uh, from three, uh, that's just not going to do it. And they've also got to make sure – I was shocked they got uh, beat on the glass because, mm-hmm. as we talked about, Milwaukee has a lot more length uh, than Boston does. I don't think Boston has any – great rebounders they have good rebounders i think Milwaukee actually has a couple great rebounders for their positions uh and i would probably try to play you know Giannis at five a lot uh and maybe try to not have him have the ball so much coming up the floor and instead try to get him the ball into the offense rather than him actually bringing down the court because from what i saw every time he came up the floor with the ball they would literally have the guy on him, and then they would come from both sides where they were trying to take away, you know, I guess that Euro step or whatever you want to call it where Giannis blows by, gets in the lane, either dunks it or throws the pass out, and they're going to have to change up that plan in order to do it. And if I'm Boston, obviously, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They need to basically do the exact same thing they did game one. And if they have the same results, they're really on to something. And as I talked about earlier, Having seen Coach Bud in playoffs, I have some serious doubts how much adjustments he will make or, you know, he's, I don't know, call it stubborn, whatever you want. Uh, he, he tends to think that, you know, this is what got us here and this is what's going to be effective. But you made a very good point that in the playoffs, it's literally a totally different season and you have to adjust your game plans and try new things. And it's just this is a must-win game, and I did not think we would be here uh, especially because you talked about it, you know, Boston was up nine and then Milwaukee had a great second quarter and got back into, I think they went on like a 13 or 14 run. And then they scored mm-hmm. 21 points and 19 points in the third and fourth quarter. And you're not going to win any games, especially against a team that's as good offensively as the Boston Celtics doing that. Yeah. I think the the first thing they've got to do is, is really – not let Al Horford get 20 points. I'm going to keep saying that because I'm just shocked. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. They they can't allow Al Horford to to um, use his his um, I guess you could say uh, versatility, which which is uh, I hate to say it like that, but he, he is a he is a pretty versatile big man. Maybe I'm just a hater, but he can he can I'm hit sorry, open he's jump really shots good. basically. And he's very he's very intelligent. He's very intelligent. Um, it moves well without the ball for a big. 
So uh, I'm just I just think he's a I just think he's soft. And I hate saying that about people. I hate using that word, but I just think he's not. He's just a soft big man. Um, I like to see the Bucks get more physical uh, and, and try to get these guys in foul trouble. Um, really be aggressive and attack the basket, not settle for like jump shots or, or even three balls. I get it that that's what got them here per se, and that's kind of uh, the Atlanta Hawks coach's M.O. He likes to really put up the shots, but I feel like they just need to take a more calculated, old-school approach and, and really focus on keeping the Celtics from scoring uh, basketball. So if if I could give a, a range, uh, a scoring range of where I think the Bucks really have a chance to win, if they can limit the Celtics to a, at most 100-102 type score, I really think they have a chance to win a lot of games. Um, when they allow them to get, you know, into these hundreds and tens, hundred and twelve and stuff like that, they're not I don't think they're built to keep up with them scoring wise like that. So they kinda have to make it a grind out game. Um now how they do that based off of what we've seen them do throughout the season, because they can score, um, I'm not sure. But I know that the way they've been playing and the way uh, that they played to get them here is not going to be how they're going to beat the Celtics. They're not going to outscore the Celtics four games out of seven. It's just not going to happen. Um, I'd also like to see them force Kyrie to to really depend on these younger guys like Tatum and Brown a little bit more. And I understand Brown had a really good game, but can Brown be consistent for a series? So I like to see them, and Rozier as well, I like to see them really – make it tough for the role players. Because, again, Kyrie's going to get his buckets. Horford's really smart. He's going to facilitate and do what he has to do uh, based on his role. He's very secure in what he does, and Kyrie trusts him. But I still am not sold that Tatum Brown and Rozier are guys that Kyrie uh, trusts, even Hayward as well. I, I'm not I'm not convinced that these are guys that he's going to trust if the game's tight. And, and they, they're needed to make shots because we've seen them bicker throughout the season. It's not something that usually goes away, especially uh, considering how petty Kyrie can be. So I like to see them kind of really focus on a more mental approach at uh, at attacking the Celtics. Uh, Celtics don't have to do anything. I mean, they're playing with house money. So it's it's on the bucks. It's on the bucks. Um, what's your prediction for game two? Because I said Bucks in five or six, because I think Giannis is, you know, <laughs> arguably the best player in the league, and they're at home. They better win. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take them to win. Uh, and you know, as we just spent you know considerable time talking about, if if they don't, this series is flat out over. Like, and I I hate to say that two games in, but Boston is too good at home. Their crowd is a true home court advantage, one of about four or five teams that it's really tough to go in there and win. And not to mention, I mean, Giannis already sounds kind of like a broken man from that quote you gave me. I can only imagine what he would say if they lost two straight games at home to start the series. But I think the Bucks win. They're, they're going to shoot better. That, that, that was a terrible uh, shooting performance. I think it was one of their lowest – total field goal percentages all season at home. So you got to assume they're going to make more baskets, uh, or at least a higher percentage of them. And I, you know, say the Bucks maybe win by five or six. 
I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this win to the Bucks in game two simply because I'm not sold that the Celtics can shoot like that again. Even if they tried, I mean, 54 percent as a team is pretty darn good for them. Oh, um, but, yeah, and and then uh, almost 42 percent as a team from three point range. I I just I don't think they're gonna they're gonna get it done uh, game two. Um, if they do, they're gonna need more than four points from Tatum. Um, so we'll see yep. how that goes. Uh, with that being said, though, I don't know who's going to step up for the Bucks, but um, I expect Giannis to play a, a more uh, efficient game, 7 for 21. He was 3 for 5 from three-point range, but um, he, he missed 5 out of 10 free throws. I, I just expect that stat line to look a little bit better. Uh, he had one block, no steals, two assists. I expect those to go up a little bit, especially the assists. Uh, and the eight boards will probably be the same. Uh, Middleton didn't have too bad of a game. But Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, I mean, they got to get more That's out of those awful. guys. I mean, three and six out of, you know, you look at the the score line for the, uh, for the starting five for the uh, Celtics is 9-4-2016, or sorry, 20-26-19. And, and then you go <laughs> to the uh, Bucks and it's 22-16-3-6-3. And they ain't gonna cut it. So um, I expect somebody to answer for the Bucks. I just don't know who. And I'll take the Bucks uh, game two as well. It better be uh, Eric Bledsoe. He's the one I'm most disappointed in. Like he's supposed to be their, you know, at least third option. I actually think he's their second option, even over Middleton. And he just, you know, he can get his own bucket. He ain't gotta just stand out there and shoot. And I was really disappointed in the way he played. Six points in 25 minutes is just. You know, that's why you're kind of have the stigma that he does, that he's one of those guys that can put up numbers in the regular season, but when games matter, you know, he's just another guy. Yeah, and they and they've got uh he's got a little beef with uh Terry Rozier too, so Yes he does. Expect him to expect him to be more motivated. <laughs> um Rolling into our second game, because we did talk about that a considerably long time, but you seem to be a Bucks fan, so that was fine. Rockets and Warriors. Oh my God! You cannot talk about this game without talking about the officiating. I mean, everybody's mad. Even even the Warriors, and it was mostly calls in their favor. They're upset. So uh, I saw a headline on uh, ESPN.com saying that the Warriors and Rockets are expecting a better uh, officiated game, which I chuckled at. Um, what was your take from that game? Well, it, I mean, is it just me or does this kind of feel like the NBA Finals? which is so it weird in a semifinal matchup. <laughs> it doesn't – you can see it does to me. Like, no, I, I really you know do why feel it doesn't, like – You know why it doesn't to me? Because I'm sick of watching Harden and Curry just just fade from the spotlight in these playoff games. They, they're just really not – they don't play that good compared to how they played during the regular season. And, I, and I just, I'm just not sold on it. I'm not sold on it. I'm ready for the season to be over with. But go ahead. No, that's – I mean, there is nobody who is more ready for the Warriors to break up because before we get into this, I feel like that if KD wouldn't have gone to Golden State and even if he left Oklahoma City and didn't go there, you could have one of your most competitive, best, you know, balance of great players and teams in the league we've had. And, you know, I don't even remember. But the Warriors are just – you know, they have so many guys – that it's 
to me, I've, I've been saying this basically since KD signed that until he leaves, uh, they're not going to get beat. And I, I don't really think the Rockets have a great chance of beating them, but they have to feel good after what happened in game one. Both teams actually should feel pretty good because uh, I feel like the Warriors, uh, you know, got obviously a huge game from KD and not a lot from anybody else other than basically Draymond and Iggy played really well. I know Curry made the one big three late, which uh, I don't ever agree with Skip Bayless, but he actually said that was probably the only, I think, important three or big shot he's made, you know, potentially in his playoff history, which even proves what your you know point you were just saying. And, you know, Harden didn't play well, which the question is, is that going to be a theme because he's done this throughout his playoff career? Or is it going to be something where he's going to play better the rest of the series and they're going to continue to get contributions like they did from the players around them? Because if I was the Rockets, I'd look at it this way, that Capella was basically a non-factor. Uh, Harden was, what, 4 16, 4 14, something like that from three. Uh, now, I will say that I'm not a big hating on the refs, but you can't call something all year and then not call it in the playoffs. Uh, especially when, the, the ironically for me, the, the three that everybody was so up in arms about at the end of the game, I didn't think that was one of the bad ones, but there was three or four in the first half where guys definitely closed out underneath his feet, which the NBA has basically done away with since the Kawhi Leonard injury a couple of years ago, and those should have been called fouls. And the Rocket fans have a legit beef with that. But overall, I'm sick of just players constantly whining for calls. And it's always, you know, the top players. And it's just, it, it, it takes a lot away from the game. And we should be talking about two of the better teams in the league going head-to-head. Uh, the Warriors, if, if they continue to get this kind of performance from KD, they're going to be unbeatable. He is – I'm not the biggest KD fan, but he has been playing so well in the playoffs the last three seasons, particularly this year where it seems like he can do literally whatever he wants. Uh, and, you know, with the Steph and Clay. One of them's usually going to have a pretty good game, uh, most playoff games. And when you're getting KD scoring 30, and then you're going to have either Clay or Steph getting 20, and then you still have the attention from the other one being out there, the Warriors should feel very well, uh, very good about their performance as well. I think this is going to be a close series, though. I think that the 104-100 is kind of, uh, you know, what the entire series is going to be like that. Each game, you're going to have close games that are going to come down to a few plays. And as I think anybody would say, I would much rather have Kevin Durant as my closer than James Harden right now. And that's why I think ultimately the Warriors are going to win this series in six or seven. But both teams should feel very good about what they did. And I just hope this officiating thing doesn't cloud what is – you know, two very good teams with star players playing against each other, and that seems to be all the media is talking about right now. So, in regards to the officiating, there was 56 free throw shots. How many do you think was shot between Harden and Kevin Durant? Oh, I'm sure it was a bunch. I know, uh, what did Harden have, like 18 or something by himself? I didn't uh, check to see how many KD had. 29 
of the 56 free throws were shot between Harden and Durant. So, if Warriors and Rocket fans are listening, and neither one of y'all got no right to complain about the officiating. It was, <laughs> it was pretty even. I mean, the, the the Warriors shot 27 free throws, and the, and the Rockets shot 29. So, it was pretty even based off of that. However, however, I will say that um, I agree with you. Um, the The kind of placing your feet underneath the shooter thing, to me, it's, it's malicious, man. Like, that's something that, that causes injury. Now, there were instances where uh, Chris Paul and Harden kind of um, exaggerated their uh, shooting motion, which led to some, incident, like, incidental contact, but I want to say it was it was a couple shots specifically with Clay where excuse me, where he literally moved underneath this man as he was coming down and nothing was called. But you have to give uh, the shooters a a place to land, basically. I mean, we we saw it called throughout the March Madness tournament, which is the correct call. We saw it called throughout the season in the NBA. It's the correct call. The shot at the end of the game, Harden, he's never going to get that call. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, I think he kind of exaggerated. If he hadn't exaggerated, he might have made the shot. He should just focus on making the shot, still trying to draw the foul. But um, just like you said, that first half, there was just some instances where I was just like, so we just going to overlook that? Mm-hmm. And and we know, and, and these two teams should definitely know, that playoffs are called a little different. They allow you more physicality. But things like that, the whole sticking your foot underneath people and, and not giving them a place to land is something that I don't think is negotiable or, or something that can be called discreetly you know you have to call that by the book uh with that being said i expect the refs to be super tight uh because this was such a a, a high profile matchup obviously and, and it's been the talk of the of the entire uh post game is the refs the refs the refs and then you got like steve kerr making jokes about it during his press conference today and i expect them to to tighten up a little bit and, and we're going to probably see even more frustration but, um, I mean, that's the risk that you run when you complain about it. They're going to make adjustments. Um, with that being said, the one key thing that I think that I took away from this game and looking at that line based off of my eye test of watching yesterday, I, I was pretty much on par. This is a game of the Warriors starters versus the Rockets' entire team. Um, the Rockets had, let me see here, over 60 minutes of bench play. The Warriors only had like 40, 44 minutes of bench play. So um, the rotation isn't as deep um, that we've seen for uh, Coach Kerr. And and I I guess some of that is because of of Cousins being out. But, again, he specifically emphasized the, the small lineup coming out. Yep. And uh, I don't think I don't think you you uh, touched on that, but adding Andre Iguodala into the starting lineup is something that I feel like D'Antoni should anticipate it. But here we are again with him starting Clint Capella and using Nene, and I'm still trying to figure out. You got Iman Shumpert on the bench. I don't. You got Gerald Green on the bench. I don't care how you use them, but Clint Capella is not a factor. In this series, we went over this last year. I don't yep. understand why at the end of the game am I seeing Nene switching on to Steph Curry. 
You should have called timeout. He shouldn't even be on the floor. And it's these little things that really decide games by four freaking points. The the Rockets actually could beat the Warriors this year. The Warriors yep. are not really that focused this year. They played a sloppy game compared to, to um how we're used to seeing them play. They had 20 turnovers. 20 turnovers. And you, you know, you I think they're exhausted, Dur- too. You know, yeah. because what you were talking about, the smaller rotation and the fact that, what, this is like the fifth year most of these guys have basically made a run all the way to the finals. For KD, it's his third straight. I mean, year before he made it to the Western Conference. And that is something that I think could play out over the series. And I, I loved your point about the bench minutes is, if the Rockets can make this series go longer and the Warriors are going to use such a small amount of players, you know, they could become exhausted. It's going to lead to more turnovers. It's going to lead to worse play. And that's, I think, where they're the most vulnerable. Yeah, um, I I can see them using Bell a little bit more if necessary, but you have to force this. You have to force them to go to their bench. You have to force them to to just play uh, play how you want them to play. I mean, basically, pick your poison. They're they're the best team in the NBA. I get that. They've got a really good shooting team. But when a team of this caliber plays so sloppy, you have to make them pay. And Chris Paul played like crap. He just, that's why he played like crap. They're not going to win this series without him getting at least twenty five a night. It's just got to happen. I don't know why he plays so poorly, but he's got to do better because they can't depend on James Harden. Um, and, and they I, got and a I great game out of Eric Gordon. Yeah, they did. I mean, and they I got a that, great game out of Eric Gordon. Yeah, he shoot. He almost shot fifty percent. Actually, he shot a little bit better than fifty percent. And I get that um, that Harden had thirty five points, but his efficiency is so trash during the playoffs. <laughs> like. Good God, man! It's 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 just like forcing a um, a, I don't, I don't even want to jack up the analogy, but anyway, it's it's just trash. It's trash. Um, and they're probably gonna get that, um, probably three more games out of this series. So Chris Paul has to step up. PJ Tucker is in the starting five, and my man had no points. How sway? I get it, but you gotta like you're playing the Warriors, man. You gotta give me something. You gotta give me something. Get to the free throw line. Do something. <laughs> Stop shooting threes, but but contribute, <laughs> man. Like you're playing a really good team. You have four steals, and, and but but again, you have to points. You need to score to beat the Warriors. You're never. We played forty to... minutes. Okay, how about some buckets, yeah. right? Like <laughs> yeah, give me something, something. And and I know I'm a little more animated this series, but it's only because. I'm sick of seeing people play the same freaking – it's like watching the Patriots, man, and they keep running those rub routes, and I'm like, why are you in a zone? They're going to run right by you and pick you off with the other player. It happens every time. Again, why is Capella and Nene on the court? They're going to switch. They're going to make you switch and hit the three every time. If I had the why stats in front switching? of me – like, why do I don't even know. Don't switch it against the, the the Warriors. I don't understand that. This is two yeah, years I, in a row that it, it that it gets them in bad matchups. I mean, you just talked about it. One of the key plays of the game, you got Nene on Steph Curry, and 
there is time to actually, you know, play a zone, do something different. Don't just continue to do this switch everything. I hate it. I mean, it's it's ways around that, honestly. And, and some of that is just putting the right personnel on the floor. I mean, let me see. Bogut played five minutes. Looney played 16 minutes. Capella played 27 and uh, Nene played 14. Now, if their legitimate big men only played 21 minutes, why are your big men playing over 30 minutes? That that alone that alone lets me know that you're you're not comprehending the matchups here. Because again, you got Shumpert and Green, two guys who can who can come in and, and play that role to kind of uh, match up against their quote unquote small ball. Um, and, and Tucker's out there on the floor as well, but you sh- you gotta cut Capella and Nene's minutes down some. You have to. If if you don't, you're just gonna keep playing with fire because Curry ain't gonna shoot three for ten every night, and we know Clay no. ain't gonna go two for five every night. And if they continue to, because because it was primarily Curry who was who was forcing the switch, because I guess because of Kevin Durant's length. And, and then you got Draymond who had nine assists, so he's he's seeing the floor and passing it. I, I mean, you gotta pick your poison, and it can't be allowing Curry to sauce up your your big and, and shoot a three, because you're gonna you're not gonna win the series like that. So um, I don't even know if if I'm confident Dan Tony will make the adjustment. I I really don't because this is it. Like I said, this is how he lost last year, and he came right out and did the same freaking thing. So I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, I've, I've been kind of, like I said, I've been kind of passionate about this. It's just frustrating. <laughs> uh, what do you think needs to happen for game two for the Rockets to still still a win? Do you think they can still a win um, in oh, Oakland? Absolutely. I definitely do. And it's funny as it seems because we just talked about that Kevin Durant is, you know, definitely the best basketball player in the world in the playoffs the last couple of seasons. But I actually think the key to beating the Warriors is try to make him beat you. Because when he gets hot and gets going, the ball just doesn't move as free-flowing as it does when Steph and Clay get going. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, KD's just more of an ISO player, and he's great at it. But I would, you know, I mean, I don't know if you saw all those shots he made in the fourth quarter – I'd live with him taking those shots. I know he's, you know, arguably the best player and best shooter in the game, but, I mean, those were some really high, difficult shots that he made, and that's what I would be trying to do with the Rockets is, number one, is make KD uh, basically try to play more ISO, you know, one-on-one ball and beat you. And then the second thing is what you just talked about is you, you've got to adjust your lineups. You, you've got to – you know, play small against them. Uh, I actually think they match up better against them with the small lineups anyway, which is weird. I, I don't understand why Nene gets so many minutes in the first place. Capella, I can at least understand in most series because he's a great rebounder, shot blocker, et cetera. But, I mean, this is going to be a series of three throws and threes. So, uh, you know, you might as well go small and, you know, play basically the way you have most of the season, and they're going to get more foul calls. I think we both agree on that, especially if the Warriors close out the way they did on a lot of those three-point shots. And I hope more than anything 
that Harden has a better game. And if he doesn't, and you have both uh, Gordon uh, and Paul, who seem to at least normally play, you know, bigger than they do in the regular season and the postseason, they might need to go a little bit away from Harden and let Paul be a little bit more of the facilitator and control the ball a little bit more. Yeah, I need Chris Paul to be more aggressive. Um, I need Chris Paul to to score more. <clears throat> I need him to just be a general more. I mean, I feel like – I mean, Chris Paul had four assists. That's bad for Chris Paul. Four assists. I mean, if Clint Capella's going to play 27 minutes, you got to get more than four assists. You need to throw more oops if he's going to be out there because that's the only thing he's good for um, against these guys anyway. But um, that just – that just can't happen. Uh, another thing, honestly, I don't know if if it's worth it to give it a shot, but I just honestly don't like Capella on the floor, man. Like I feel like Capella should only come in if Bogut or, or Loney's in, or Looney, however you say his name, is in. Um, I agree with you to some extent. Um, I agree Kevin Durant is an ISO player. Um, I think the key to beating the Warriors, and, and it's kind of like I'm running on the same theory here. I don't think the Warriors are a team together either, all right? Same thing I said about the Celtics. I think there's some strife there. I think we've seen enough evidence that in certain situations, um, people kind of unravel because there are al- alternative motives for Durant and maybe Clay Thompson. So, I would like to see the the Rockets let Draymond Green do what Draymond Green wants to do on the offensive end, but limit his uh, like uh, limit his role in the passing game. So he had nine assists. He led the team with nine he assists. He had a great game. game. Yeah, he, had he a did. Great game. He, he had a really great game. He had nine assists and nine boards. If you go in a small lineup, you can you can force him out, force him away from um, the the uh, basket, make him have to guard or because he does do a lot on defense for this team. He guards a lot of people. He helps a lot on defense. So move, make him move away from the basket. Make him have to guard the perimeter more. Make him have to be more involved. And you you can do that by by driving and kicking and, and just distributing the ball, moving the ball better and attacking the basket and getting guys cutting, but just have more movement in the Rockets' offense to get Draymond kind of away from where he wants to be defensively. And I really think you can you can break this Warriors team down and beat them that way because they, they literally live and die by Draymond's defense. Now, Kevin Durant can play defense, and, and last year we saw him play a lot of defense, but I don't think he's that same player this year mentally, especially in the playoffs. I don't think he's committed to, to playing the, the help defense that's necessary. And uh, I just want to point out that the plus minus on KD was zero. Even yep. though he had 35 points, I, I find that interesting. Um, and I, I feel like the Rockets need to try to develop a game plan to kind of uh, force Draymond basically to yell at Durant to get him mm-hmm. involved. Because I don't really think Curry's that big of a leader. And I know Clay doesn't talk. So if Draymond and, and Durant start popping off at each other, you, you're only leaving Kerr, who's not on the floor, to deal with the situation, and and you're going to create some dysfunction. I think they really need to look into that 
and see if they can get the offense moving a little bit more, which is weird because Dan Tony's offense usually rotates the ball better and, and has a lot of guys moving. But, I mean, the team only had 14 assists, and, and the Warriors had 24. You, you can't beat them that way. So, to me, that says the ball was sticking a lot. And so, in order for them to get back into this series, they got to get back to, to moving the ball around. Completely agree. I mean, Harden cannot yeah. perform the way he has been performing and have the ball that much. Like, he's either got to step up his performance, which he hasn't done in any playoffs really up until this point, or he's got to learn to defer a little bit more. And I actually think it would help him get going because when the ball's in Paul's hand, he seems to get more open three looks. And, you know, he, he takes a lot of bad shots. Uh, and it works in the regular season because he gets so many foul calls. And the historical data shows that, as you talked about earlier, in the playoffs, you don't get as many free throws. There's not as many fouls called. And he's not going to be able to consistently get like he seemed like he did almost every regular season game, 20 free throw attempts. Uh, and they need to get, I think, you know, Paul involved. And uh, Gordon, like I said, played fantastic. And I would try to, you know, build momentum off that game and try to get him going early as well. So what's your prediction for game two for the Rockets Warriors? I think it's going to be really close. Uh, honestly, I, I don't think it's like with the Bucks series where if the Warriors go up 2-0, it's over or it's, you know, time to panic. Uh, I, I just think this is going to be a series of close games. I actually think the Warriors will probably win this game uh, only because, as we mentioned, uh, Clay and Steph did not have great games. I would assume they'd shoot a little better, at least one of them. Um, but I also would not be surprised if, if, if the Rockets, you know, steal this game. I think this is going to be a six- or seven-game series where almost every game is competitive and you're not going to see any blowouts. And I really do believe the best chance for the Rockets to do that is you want to try to make KD beat you. I didn't realize this plus-minus was that until you just said it, that, you know, he had this great game, but obviously – it wasn't like KD was the most important player on the floor. In fact, when you said that, I looked it up, and this shouldn't be surprising because they're the underrated Warriors. Every year during the postseason, the plus minuses for Iggy and Livingston were, were the, the two highest, and those guys consistently play such huge roles in you know, this Warriors run that they've been on. And in some ways, I think it would make sense to – Obviously, you want more shots on KD, and I would try to take away those guys in some extent. And I don't think that Draymond Green and uh, Iguodala are going to shoot. I think they were like 12 or 16 or something crazy from the field. We know they're not mm-hmm. going to do that again. Yeah, I think the um, not-so-big secret on the Warriors team is that a lot of guys don't pull their weight on that team, and, and they, they kind of sit back and take breaks while other people do certain work, especially on the defensive end. Not saying that they can't play defense. It's just because I've seen Clay Thompson play a bigger role on the defensive end. But, again, that defense of the Warriors all starts and finishes with Draymond Green. And he's he's the, the director. He's the quarterback out there on defense. And if you can get him yelling at guys, mainly Kevin Durant, um, I really think you can you can get into their head. 
I don't want to overlook uh, Iguodala's attempt at leadership or, or his voice in, in this equation, but I think throughout the season we saw that even he couldn't really keep these guys from uh, getting at each other. So I would take that approach. I don't have a lot of faith in Dan Tony to make the necessary adjustments. I'm going to go ahead and take the Warriors in game two. I think the Rockets answer in game three, but I'm going to stick with my original theory and say Warriors in five, man. I have no faith. Yeah, I've had no faith in, in playoff Harden. I have no faith in um, in Dan Tony as a coach. And honestly, with, with Chris Paul, what he showed me in game one, I, I don't even know what to expect, man. I don't even know what to expect. So, uh, so what team do you think that. gives the Warriors the biggest, like, what team do you think would be the worst matchup for them, Eastern or Western Conference, the rest of the ways, if you think that the Warriors are going right. to beat the Rockets in five? Right now, the honestly, the, the team in the West that would give them problems, and I'm not saying this because I'm a Blazers fan, is the Blazers because they're not afraid of the Warriors. They're not afraid of the Warriors. Like, they really stepped their game up when they play Golden State. They're going to make Golden State be committed to playing every single time they step on the floor, and they really can go shot for shot with those guys um, based off of uh, Lillard and, and McCollum's ability to score. And they also have the ability uh, with Aminu to, to play a smaller lineup that can actually still compete with all the other guys that are on the court with the Warriors, and their bench can also force the Warriors to have to score more when they do bring those guys in because their bench can score as well. Um, they're a really decent shooting team um, from the bench. So I feel like that's a matchup just with familiarity and the fact that they're not afraid of them. That would probably give them the most uh, problems. And then out, out east, I guess it would be the, the Celtics just because of their depth and uh, Kyrie not being afraid of them as well. And a lot of those guys are not intimidated uh, by the presence of Durant and stuff like that. So they would play hard. I would definitely like them more if Marcus Smart was around just because of his defense and uh, his right. ability to frustrate people. He's like a bigger Patrick Beverly. Um, but uh, I would rather see the, the Celtics play the Warriors um, than anybody else. And I'd rather see the Blazers and, and Warriors play in the next round. Uh, over the the Nuggets, so. But and I the think the, the Blazers day, have a. Well, I was just gonna say real quick. I think the Blazers uh, also have a great chance to finish off the Nuggets quickly. And the longer this series goes, because again we just talked about how the Warriors seem to be playing less players and more minutes with their stars, that the Blazers could be rested. Obviously, they should be very confident after dusting Oklahoma City and say if they beat the Nuggets in you know four or five and the Rockets-Warriors get a series goes six or seven, I could totally see Portland giving Golden State, you know, all they could handle and potentially, you know, what would obviously be a big upset to most, but I could see that happening. Yeah, I agree. So um, I'm going to go ahead and cut this one off, man. We've, we've had a, a good run tonight, good conversation about uh, some playoff basketball. You even got me interested <laughs> And uh, passionate about that Warriors game, and I was already saying that I wanted the season to end. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely get back together for um, for the other matchups today, which would be the Trailblazers Nuggets, and then the Raptors and uh, 76ers, which is on Game Two. But uh, good good talk, man. Appreciate you calling in. Man, always enjoy it. I appreciate it. Have a great one. Right, you too. Bye.